Hi, my name is Dr. Pat Doherty. I'm a chiropractor in Spokane, Washington. As a chiropractor, my primary concern is to help get the nervous system of my patients functioning at the highest level possible. I do this through traditional chiropractic adjustments. A chiropractic adjustment is the introduction of a force into a joint in the body. It may be a low force with an instrument or with hands, or it may be of a higher force with causing the typical standard chiropractic, what's often called popping or cracking, the moving of the joint making a noise. The objective of the adjustment is always to restore that joint to a higher vibrational frequency that will allow the nervous system to function at that higher level I mentioned earlier. A joint that is not vibrating or not vibrating at a healthy level is called a subluxation in classic chiropractic terminology. Once upon a time, chiropractors did nothing more than adjust subluxations and most people got better. Unfortunately for us, life has become more challenging, it's become more stressful, and it's often necessary to look at and address the underlying cause of the subluxation in order for people to attain that higher vibrational level. Today's conference call is about one of those underlying causes, nutrition. The subject is largely about food, but just as the chiropractic adjustment is about energy and vibration, so is food and nutrition about energy and vibration. Some foods vibrate at a healthier level than others. The healthier the vibration, the more the food will help the nervous system vibrate at a healthier level, and a healthy nervous system is the key to having a body that is efficient when it comes to staying healthy. Now, efficiency in staying healthy is all about stress. Stress has often gotten a bad rap. A lot of people think stress is bad, but we have to have stress in order to survive. It is what allows us to grow. So what allows us to thrive in life. So how we have to look at it is good stress versus bad stress. And stress comes in three forms, physical, chemical, and emotional. Nutrition is going to be one of the, emotion, one of the chemical stressors, among other things like toxicities. So we have stress which can be good for us or bad for us. And that is what epigenetics is all about. Up until about 10 years ago, we thought that people's health would be determined by genes. So they did this human genome project in order to find out how they could prevent every disease under the sun that they had ever thought to name. And instead of finding that there was a gene that could turn on and off for every um, every disease we were ever going to have, what they found was that it's not that simple. Genetics were a subset of epigenetics, with epigenetics being our environment, being our ability to handle the stress, being our stresses that are entered into our system. And only about a handful of things, probably less than 10, are solely dependent on genetics. Other than that, genetics are about 20% of the story or less. The other 80% is the epigenetics, which are our physical, chemical, and emotional stressors. So food has the ability to turn off a gene or to turn on a gene. Now, if you have a gene for heart disease, you want to turn it off. So you want to eat foods that are going to enable you to turn off that gene. You want to eat foods that are going to make you healthy to the point that gene will never even think about activating. And the same for almost every gene in our body. So that's epigenetics in a nutshell. 
and it's uh, it's what we really are leaning towards when it comes to ascertaining whether we're going to be healthy or not in this world. So food is a very important part of that. It, we we have a piggy bank, so to speak, where we can put good things in it and bad things in it, and that's going to determine how we handle an overload of stress in our life. Because sooner or later, we're all going to have a crisis, an overload of stress, and that piggy bank is going to determine whether the stress makes us ill or we overcome it and we stay healthy. And I like to think of it as the good things we put in that piggy bank are general adaptive potential, which I call GAP. The general adaptive potential would be good foods, good um, exercise, good self-talk, thinking well about yourself, not being around people who pull you down, uh, meditation, all these things that add into the piggy bank and prepare you for a crisis in life. Whereas a general adaptive syndrome that you put into the bank would be the opposite of all those good things. It would be if you beat yourself up, if others beat yourself up, uh, beat you up verbally or physically, um, physical um, traumas, it could be emotional traumas, chemical traumas, eating the six cheeseburgers a day. All those things are going to give you a gas versus your gap that is going to make your piggy bank be devoid of the energy it needs to keep you well when you have a crisis in life. As a chiropractor, I really focus on the wisdom of the body. That wisdom is we were born to be healthy. We're meant to be healthy. Until we do something to destroy our innate healing abilities that we're born with, that's what innate means, we have no reason to get ill. But the physical, chemical, emotional stresses of life, and I think this society, it's almost a pathologically stressful society we live in, many of us. It's really hard to keep our gap up. But that's what food and all these other things are about. And today's subject is nutrition, especially food. I want to talk about several things, uh, GMOs, grains and gluten, sweeteners, daily vitamins. But first, I like to start with my list of the 10 worst foods. I like to do this because people in my office so often just refuse to get it, don't want to get it, don't get it, that they can do almost everything right, but if they eat foods their body doesn't like, and most of those foods are going to be foods that are nutritionally poor anyway, they'll overcome all the good things they did, and they'll still have problems physically. So let's get on with it. The list of top 10 worst foods. At number 10, I have milk, and this means the pasteurized processed milk. Although many people can't stand any kind of dairy, it'll set off uh, reactions in their body with bad um, immune globulins being produced that are going to cause them to have allergic type reactions. That's because we did not, as a species, grow up with milk. In fact, in Japan, where they don't have dairy cows predominantly, 95% of the people are lactose intolerant, which is just kind of a clue that to be able to tolerate milk is something that you have to develop over many generations. And even when you develop it, that does not mean that the pasteurized milk is good food. It's full of antibiotics and hormones. It's, it's basically just a junk food. And this goes for many other of the dairy products. 
Now, if you are going to have dairy, if you have raw dairy, I'm, I have many people in my clinic who, when I test them, they don't do well with pasteurized milk, but they're fine with raw milk. So at least have the real food raw milk as opposed to the pasteurized milk if you're going to go that direction. Number nine on the list, most breakfast cereals. They're, they're simply a, a way to feed sugar to the population. Almost all of them are very high in sugar and very low in food content. The food content they do have is primarily grains. Grains convert to sugar almost as fast as sugar. And as we're going to find out later, uh, sugar really makes our body work hard. Number eight, almost anything in a can. If we were going to say one thing to help you eat right, it would be if it has a label, ignore it. Cans always have labels. And most of them are full of sugar again. Most of them, again, are low food content. They're overcooked, destroying enzymes and vitamins. Uh, they have a massive amounts of preservatives quite often. They're just not healthy foods in general. Now, there's going to be exceptions to everything, but these are general rules about my worst foods. Number seven would be hot dogs. They take the least desirable parts from the animal and they salvage them to make hot dogs. Things that couldn't be sold on their own get put into hot dogs. And you're already taking animals that were raised on feedlots where they're full of hormones and antibiotics. It's just a horrible food for the most part. I, I'm not sure there are any good hot dogs. There might be somewhere. Number six, we have cookies and crackers, empty calories, insulin spikers, just sugar, sugar, sugar. Um, again, hardly any food content. Don't do anybody any good. Number five would be chips, which is pretty, pretty much the same as cookies and crackers. The saturated fats, the carbohydrates in there that turn to that turn on the insulin production in the body. Not a whole lot of difference between the chips and the crackers and the cookies. Number four would be candy. Once again, we have massive doses of sugar, empty calories, just another way to spike your insulin and challenge your body. And you don't want to do that. You challenge your body too much. That gas is going to grow. That gap is going to be diminished. Number three, I have French fries. Potatoes alone for many people are not a good food. Lots of It's a nightshade. Potatoes are a nightshade along with eggplants and tomatoes, peppers. A lot of people aren't well with potatoes, period. And then you take them, you soak them normally in bad fats, saturated fats, and they're high carb. And a lot of people eat them with ketchup or something else that's loaded with sugar. You're just asking for trouble. Number two is donuts, the dessert form of French fries. Saturated fat and carbs, sugar. And then finally, there's the number one worst food on my top ten list, and that would be soda pop. And even worse would be diet soda pop. Soda pop is, once again, empty calories, it's um, phosphoric acid that's going to push you towards osteoporosis. It's full of sugar, and if it's not full of sugar, it's full of artificial sweeteners that 
are as debilitating, if not worse, than sugar. We know that aspartame is a neurotoxin. It is toxic to the nerves. Sugar has its own problems, and I think toxicity is one of them, but aspartame is in its own way even more destructive than sugar. So that's it. Top 10 list of worst foods. And when I tell this to people, I often get the question, well, what am I supposed to eat then? How do you get good nutrition? Um, what's the answer here? People are dumbfounded. So many people have never learned to cook. They've never learned to shop. But I think there's answers. And we already went through one of them. If it has a label, don't buy it. And that's not to say I never buy anything with a label because there are exceptions. But five rules. Eat foods that are fresh and real. This means fruits, vegetables, maybe grains if you don't have a reaction to them, maybe beans if you don't have a reaction to them, and meat. Real foods, no labels. You have to prepare them. Well, some of them you can just eat. You can just eat an apple. Eat organic whenever possible. I think this is becoming more and more of an issue as the earth becomes more and more polluted and I'll be frank with you, even eating organic, you cannot avoid the toxins. We put toxins into the ocean, into the rivers, they go back up into the atmosphere, they rain back down into the earth, they go into the earth, they come up through the roots of our food. Even organic foods are going to be toxic to some level. But that is no excuse to willingly eat things that are made toxic on purpose which is what traditional um, agriculture does. So eat organic whenever possible. Eat foods that are produced or grown near to your home. And the reason for this is it's easier to retain the healthy benefits of a food when it hasn't been sent over long distance. That's not, not that it's not possible because you can get refrigerated trucks. You can and immediately get it on the truck and you can send it and transport and retain a lot of nutritive value. But in general, if you can eat foods that are produced and grown near to your home, you're doing two things. You're generally getting higher nutrition content and you're supporting people who are trying to make a change in this world that's going to allow us all to be healthier by producing real food. I'd say eat at least five servings a day of vegetables and preferably vegetables that are not grown underground, especially the brightly colored ones, the greens, the reds, the, the leafy things. That's where you get the most nutrition. And number five would be learn how to cook. Again, I have so many people in my office when I give them insights on how to be healthier in this nutrition field, they can't even fathom cooking. They don't know how to do it. And I will tell you, it's not that hard. There's tons of things you can do that aren't difficult, don't take that much time. So number six would be eat fermented foods. Fermented foods have an immense nutritional value. And what we find is if you go and look at societies in the world where people live a long time, in just about every society that, like that, there is some kind of fermented food that is a staple in their diet. 
Oh, again, this is just some basic things. Uh, to get into depth would take a whole day seminar, if not more. And so if you want more information, you're going to have to seek that out, seminars with me, seminars with other people, the information on my website, which I'm going to pitch right now, www.spokane-chiropractic.com. If you go there, there's an immense wealth of information, a lot of stuff I've written. There's content banks with um, information on just about everything. The doctor's resource guide is just so full of information, just about any subject you can imagine. So let's go on. I think the next subject that I'd really like to talk about would be GMOs. genetically modified organisms. This is a hot-button subject right now in my state, Washington, because there's a vote coming up wanting to require food producers to label their foods, whether they're GMO or not. And gosh, GMOs, basically it's people fooling with nature's goodness, saying, we can do this better. And nature does that on its own. It's like foods modify, they evolve through time. And some of the things we do aren't that bad. But the thing that makes it really dangerous now is people are eating foods that are treated with toxic substances in order to keep weeds away from those foods as they grow. We're eating those toxic substances when you eat those GMO foods so often. That is Monsanto's game. Game. They decided a long time ago, and they had support because the thought was initially that if we do these genetically modified foods, we'll be able to feed the world. Well, a couple of decades down the line, starvation's the same as it was before. Doesn't help. It's it's harder on the land. You leave land toxic for a decade after you stop growing GMOs on it. Uh, it there's really no reason to have GMOs, and it's something we've got to get rid of in the world. And if you buy GMO foods, we're not going to get rid of it. It's a political thing. Our politics demand that we support Monsanto, which is really ironic because if you go back to the last couple presidencies, the Bushes ate organic. The Obamas have an organic White House garden, yet they're pushing the investment in international trade towards biotech foods. And studies show us there are no higher yields with these Monsanto foods. So if you want to be safe, you avoid them. They, they add genes to GMOs that include bacteria, virus, insects, animals, and human genes that are built into these foods. They, they just aren't natural. This is nothing nature could ever do, even though nature evolves in the food world. So I'm really going to encourage you to just say no to GMO. Another area that is really important that I see in my office all the time that just makes people want to cry is the grains and gluten area. So many people test to be gluten intolerant, 
and a ton of those test to be grain intolerant. And even if I do it with muscle testing, which seems to work pretty darn well, but you can do it with blood testing. And gluten insensitivity is becoming much more frequent now because in the last few years we've gone from thinking like there's a protein in gluten that people react to to realizing that there's a whole bunch of proteins in gluten that people react to. And as they continue to find more and more of these proteins, they find more and more people who have gluten insensitivity. Now what this means is people eat gluten and they start having reactions. And sometimes they're very subtle. They might get a little stuffed up. Sometimes it's just um, over time they have pains in their joints. Their, their wrists ache a lot, their fingers ache a lot, this kind of thing. And the reason is when you have an insensitivity, when you have an allergy to a food, you're creating inflammation in the body. That's the biochemistry of the whole insensitivity allergy thing. So you can't eat them without having something happen. Some people it's so obvious that they know they shouldn't eat. Like they just break down and they're sick like they have cold or flu, and so they know they shouldn't eat them. But these, you wouldn't believe how often it happens in my office where somebody actually does give up the sugars, does give up the gluten and the grains, and headaches that have been going on for a decade go away. Joint pains have been going on for a decade go away. But it doesn't happen enough because it's so hard to convince people that grains that gluten are bad for them. And people don't know what to eat when you tell them they can't have grains and gluten. And I'm going to throw sugar in here, and here's why. Grains, gluten, and sugar, they all do the same thing. They get into the body, and they force the pancreas to start producing insulin. The job of the insulin is to gobble up your sugars so that they don't hang out in the body. Grains and gluten... They break down into carbohydrates, which is what sugar is, very quickly in the body for the most part. And you have a finite ability to produce insulin. You produce insulin and you gobble up all of the carbohydrates you can. But then if you don't gobble up all of them, they're going to hang out and they're going to turn into triglycerides. Now here's the part that often gets people to say, I'm going to do this. Triglycerides are what makes you fat. It's not fats that make you fat. Triglycerides are like food for fat cells. Fat cells are like a balloon. They're just innocuous little cells going around in the body. And if you don't feed them with triglycerides, they don't get big. But like a balloon, you start blowing into them, and you're blowing those triglycerides into them, they grow and they grow and they grow because fat cells have an insatiable appetite. They have an amazing ability to expand. And what makes a person look fat is when all their fat cells are well fed. And what makes them well fed is going to be the carbohydrates, which come from grains, gluten, sugar, etc. So what we have now is a situation where the pancreas, if you eat these things all the time, eventually gets tired, and it produces less, less insulin. So not only are you getting fat, but now you're getting diabetic because the insulin is not able to keep up 
and it just diminishes and it diminishes until you have severe diabetic problems, which include things like amputation of limbs. So I think it's really important that people find out whether they are reactive to sugar, grains, and gluten, because we have an obesity and a diabetic epidemic in this country. And if we don't do something about it, it's just going to continue to bankrupt us through our medical system, which rather than paying for people to be healthy, is paying to sustain people who didn't take care of themselves. Okay? That kind of leads us right into sweeteners. Sweeteners is a tough subject also because our government has subsidized and supported uh, sugar for so long that it's just a major factor in our, in our sweetening world. Processed sugar is what I'm talking about, things made from sugar cane and beet sugars. There are a whole bunch of other things that people can eat to sweeten their foods. And it comes down to that thing again where are you willing to cook? Are you willing to cook and stop being one of the people who consumes the average 150 bags of sugar in a year? One of the people who has a depressed immune system because of their sugar that triggers way too much insulin production. And guess who loves insulin? Cancer cells. Sugar causes cancer cells to divide so the number of cancer cells grows. Sugar contributes to obesity, as we already talked about. Um, what you can do is start to educate yourself. And I have articles on my website, again, that can help you do this because I can only go into so much detail today. There's glucose, there's sucrose, there's fructose. Glucose is the simple sugar made through digestion of carbohydrates. We need glucose, but too much of it going to overwhelm us. Sucrose is the table sugar. That's what's made from the highly processed sugar cane and sugar beet. It's a combination of glucose and fructose, and it separates during digestion. Pure sucrose has no nutrients. Fructose is what's commonly called fruit sugar because it's found in honey, fruits. But when you see it on a label, don't think you're eating fruit or fruit sugar. The pure crystalline fructose comes from two sources, corn or sucrose, which again is table sugar. So it's, a, it's like they, they're fooling us on purpose here. But there are alternatives again. The, the things like stevia, xylitol, raw honey, coconut palm sugar, they are things that, yes, they are going to trigger insulin release, but stevia has almost no glycemic index, which means it triggers almost no insulin uh, release. And things like raw honey and coconut palm sugar, even though they have uh, glycemic indexes of around 30 and they are going to trigger insulin release, they trigger it in a different way. And here's why. Because they are whole foods. When you eat a whole food, you're getting cofactors, you're getting enzymes, you're getting things that make you react to the fructose in the honey, or I mean to the sugars in the honey or the coconut in a much different way. 
and the insulin doesn't have to rush out and be so busy. It gets to be released slower and over and less of it. Consequently, we don't trigger the fat, the obesity, the diabetes. Now, as I said, there's a whole page, there's a couple pages um, with just all these little facts about sugars and glycemic index on my website. I urge you to go there if you want more information. And just to continue on the subject of whole foods, let's talk about vitamins. And this is going to be the last thing we talk about because we are running short on time here. Whole food vitamins. Our government has grossly misled the public on lots of vitamins. Vitamin C, vitamin E, vitamin A, many of the B vitamins. Our government has decided you take one active ingredient out of the actual vitamin that nature produces, and that's what you get to call a vitamin. If you present the whole vitamin, the government, the RDA, the FDA, will not allow you to call that the vitamin. The only thing you can call vitamin C is ascorbic acid. Ascorbic acid, when you remove it from all the cofactors and enzymes, has very little effectiveness in the body. Yet that's what we're stuck with. So what I advocate is if you're going to take vitamins, don't waste your money on these highly processed chemical aberrations. Get a whole food vitamin. Now, this is tricky because when you get a whole food vitamin, you'll look at the side of the label and it's going to say there's hardly any vitamin C, there's hardly any vitamin A and vitamin E, and you're going to think, well, this isn't a very good value. But the trick is you don't need near as much because in its true form, the vitamins are very active as opposed to in the chemical form, they're not very active. So consequently, you're going from 1,000 milligrams of C down to 75 milligrams of C, and you're getting a whole lot more benefit from it. Whole foods, whole food vitamins. You eat whole foods, you eat whole food vitamins, you can start getting your nutrition levels back up. You're going to be a healthier person. You're going to build your gap. You're going to diminish your gas. When there's a crisis in life, you're going to do a much better job of responding to it. That's how we stay healthy. And I'm going to leave you on that note. We all deserve to be healthy, but we have to work at it because this world is full of misinformation. And thank you so much for being on this call today. Again, uh, the website is www.spokane-chiropractic.com. My phone number is 509-327-4373. If you're in the area, make an appointment. We'll look at you from a physical level. We'll look at you from a chemical level. We'll look at you from an emotional level. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. I'll talk to you again soon. This is Dr. Pat Doherty. Bye.